Who did it? That's often the first question to follow any report that an individual or organization was the victim of a hack attack. But where businesses are concerned, it's the wrong question to be asking. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. To discuss hacking back, I am joined by Alan Brill, a Senior Managing Director at Kroll Cybersecurity. Alan, what's the typical response inside an organization when it learns that it's suffered a data breach? Obviously, management will start asking the question, well, who did it? And when we look at these things, the first thing we say when we get that question is, what does it matter? The breach occurred. It occurred because of things that happened internally that allowed it to happen or processes that you had. But if you spend a bunch of money trying to find out who did it, how does that help you? You're not cops. You're not going to go arrest somebody. You're probably not going to go file civil suits against foreign governments. And is that a wise use of funds? So that's where this hackback starts to not make a lot of sense for corporations. Now, Alan, you were one of the co-authors on a Center for Democracy and Technology report that looked at private sector hackbacks and the law of unintended consequences. How did that come about? When we saw the version of one of the Senate bills, two of my friends, Greg at, at Center for Democracy and Technology and another friend who teaches at University of Oklahoma, said, nobody thinks about the fact that this doesn't make sense. Nobody thinks about the fact that if you start doing this stuff, the bad guys are not going to just sit there and take it. They're going to be smart. They're going to go through places that if you attack them, are going to embarrass you. And the bigger thing, I guess, in a way, was the total forgetting that just because a U.S. law immunizes a U.S. company to do something, that doesn't affect foreign laws. And, you know, if you have operations around the world, do you really want your host countries pissed off at you because you violated their laws? You think they're going to ignore that? So all I think we were trying to do in our article was to take a more nuanced look and not just from the viewpoint of a techie saying, yeah, you know, go get them or a corporate executive, you know, looking for blood, but really from the viewpoint of counsel, from the viewpoint of the insurer who would not be thrilled to pay for a wild goose chase. This has been an ongoing discussion for years now. Absolutely. I think it somehow comes from the almost cops and robbers and solve the case in 30 minutes or an hour on TV, that when something happens, the first reaction is, we're going to get the bad guys. And the reality is, in the overwhelming majority of cases, no matter what you do, you're not going to get the bad guys. And we should all understand computers enough to know that you're probably not going to get your data back in a way that you can ever assure that it's not out there in other places that you'll never reach. So we're just saying that management has to take a deep breath and consider with counsel, with risk managers, with others, why should you do this? What does this gain for you? And if you think, like in the case of a government agency or something, that there's some positive gain, then at least you've done the analysis. But to spend corporate time and money without that analysis on the basis of some Wild West 
sense of do-it-yourself justice, not so good. Not so good. So to take that a step further, could we say that organizations that are focusing on this, as you aptly put it, Wild West style of justice, have missed the point somewhat in that they should have backed this whole discussion up to the point where they hopefully wouldn't even be having to have it? Well, I think I think that's right. I absolutely understand where this question will come up because I think it's a natural one. Because, you know, we see on TV every day terrible things that happen to people, terrible crimes, and the focus is always who did it. Somebody got shot. Who was the shooter? There was a robbery. Who did it? I think sometimes the only time you don't see that is when there's a natural disaster. Other than prayer, I don't know another way to get back to the doer. But when it comes to hacking, the question really comes down to what does it gain you? And I don't know what the answer is always going to be, but I'm pretty sure that corporations and governments need a mechanism to ask the question and consider it rationally rather than go out and immediately tell their IT people to, yeah, go ahead and find out what's going on here. Look, we can, you and I go back a long ways and we know that the resource in the shortest supply when a breach occurs is time. And the question is, how much time do you want to put on that versus figuring out exactly what happened in your system, documenting it, and figuring out if there's a weakness that you need to fix now to stop it from happening again. So it's really, I think, prioritization, resource allocation, nothing magical. It's stuff that you're supposed to do in managing any crisis. Kroll, of course, does a lot of incident response. That's a great point you make about prioritizing and responding to breaches. Time and again, we hear about a breach. Maybe there's been a little bit of chatter via fraud reports. And then there is a noticeable delay before the organization figures out what's going on, or else they end up issuing multiple statements about what's going on, oftentimes getting worse with each update as they truly come to understand the scope of the breach. Well, you know, there's an interesting phenomenon that we've seen at Kroll. And we're in a kind of a unique position because if you think about the nature of our work, we get to see close up more breaches than almost anybody else. And when you start looking at hundreds of breaches over time, you start to be able to draw some interesting conclusions. And one of those is that there is a big difference between companies that are prepared to deal with a breach, and those that have always gone on the plan based on it'll happen to somebody else. Here's what I mean by that. We work with companies before breaches as well as after breaches. And before the breach, we do several things. We help them with penetration tests to see what would happen if a hacker attacked. Not just could the hacker get in, but would you notice the attack? Would you be able to say something's happening and we have to respond to it. And we want to strengthen the systems internally. We do vulnerability assessments internally. But the other things that we get involved in are things like tabletop exercises, where we simulate breaches, we simulate events, and get people together to talk through what they would do. The other piece of this preparation program really has evolved around the cyber insurance industry. When an organization gets cyber insurance, 
Along with that insurance, they learn about the insurer's panel of experts that are pre-cleared and pre-approved by the insurance company. And in many cases, we will be pre-incident hired. We sign an agreement that if something happens, all the contracts are in place. We don't have to negotiate contract language. We don't have to negotiate about rates. Because as I said, the most precious resource is time. And for those organizations that have that plan in place and have tested it and have taken care of answering the questions of who are we going to have in as our crisis managers? Who are we going to have in to help us with the forensics? Who are we going to have in to handle breach response? Are we going to have a crisis communications firm? And will they know anything about us before the incident? Organizations that have those in place tend to get through breaches with far less drama and trauma than those that don't, because there is this concept of death of a thousand cuts, where your own people may give you some initial characterization of what happened. But I always tell people to remember that like anything else, breach analysis and doing a response involves something of a learning curve. It does for our people. We run them through extensive training and experience programs, but your people may not have ever had to deal with a real breach and they may not be looking at everything they should be looking at. So you may go out with a, an initial statement that says, ah, it wasn't bad. They never really got to us. And then as you've seen, people come out with statements that are more and more and more horrific. And that's terrible for reputation. That's not the way you want to do it. You have to start with an absolute belief that it could happen to you and it's not always going to be to somebody else. And it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that you've attracted attention. It could be that you were just targeted by some mass campaign and you happen to be running software with a zero day in it that nobody knew about. So we're in a good position because we can use the experience that we get every day, not just in responding to a breach, but in what we learn from monitoring systems for our clients, looking at the risk factors, and being able to work with them and their insurance partners and counsel before the breach occurs so that when it happens, there's a plan. You're not trying to come up with an emergency plan in the middle of an emergency. Alan, thanks very much for your insights today. Matt, it's always great to speak to you, and I'll look forward to our next conversation. Sounds great. For Information Security Media Group, this is Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for joining us.